You are listening to the Progress Your Health Podcast, Episode 8. Welcome to the Progress Your Health Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progression Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Maggie. And I'm Dr. Davidson. So today we're going to talk about some of our first few episodes have been about women's issues. The last three have been about weight gain, insulin resistance. We talked about amino acids last time, uh, a little bit about leptin in there. Today we're going to talk about men. So for the ladies that have husbands, uh, this is somewhat relevant. Men specifically, we're going to be talking about low testosterone today. There's a lot of talk, you see it on TV, there's a lot of advertisements for all these testosterone boosters and all these herbal things. There's clinics, especially in major cities, there's these testosterone clinics all over the place. Uh, A lot of, uh, even 10 years ago, there really wasn't much as far as that, but testosterone has become very popular, a very popular treatment over the last few years. And you and I have some particular ways in how we deal with that. We don't really agree with the way that it's handled out there in the marketplace. No, no. Um, I mean, different strokes for different folks, but we don't do the static dosing, the injections, the pellets. We also want to individualize it because a lot of these places are kind of like you jump, you come in, they give you an injection and then you leave without taking into consideration the actual individual. So, you know, there are people, sure, if you're a 70 year old fellow, you're going to have low testosterone. You're, you know, your our hormones decline with time, with age, but why are these men in their 40s having low testosterone, you know, in their 50s? Even I've seen men in their late 20s with low testosterone. So we want to take into effect why this is happening and the age differences between this before you start, to, you know, then you individualize a treatment for that particular male. Yeah. So I definitely think when it comes to, there's a couple of uh, conversations going on there, right? There's testosterone therapy, uh, which you and I both agree that it is somewhat age appropriate. You're 20 years old. The last thing you should be getting is testosterone therapy if you're 20 years old. Maybe even your 30s, it might not be the best idea. There's another reason as to why at such a younger age, why your testosterone level is either abnormally low or on the low end of normal. We'll talk about what those numbers are here in a, in a few minutes. But you're right. You, you and I see both all the time. Of all the different decades of, of a man's life, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond, you know, you and I both have some men that are in their 50s and have better testosterone levels than men in their 20s. For whatever reason, we'll talk about what some of those factors might be, but as to why, you know, younger men are having uh, really low testosterone levels. Now, around the world, if you look at some of the more maybe aboriginal cultures, you know, the testosterone levels are not really supposed to decline until like the seventh or eighth decade. But in the United States and other industrialized nations, that, that drop-off starts to happen around the late 40s. And I think that it is almost like a testament of of the stress level that men have to deal with in an industrialized nation, especially in the United States. You know, when a man is in his late 40s, early 50s, usually his career, his, his business, uh, his uh, you know, his life in general usually has a lot of responsibility and that over time starts to, you know, you see an inverse correlation with that testosterone level. 
yeah, I mean, you're right. Men have a lot of pressure on their shoulders. I mean, sure, women do too. I mean, we all do, and especially in this day and age with high stress. And not only is it just high stress, then you're not sleeping well, and then we're not eating well. And it's a whole cascade of events that tend to change, like we had always talked about, those metabolic hormones, which then, in exchange, also filter down and change up our um, reproductive hormones. So we're not going to all go live on Club Med together because if we did, our cortisol would be great, our adrenals would be great, our reproductive hormones would be great. We'd be feeling good, but that just isn't realistic. It's what can we do to work around the levels of stress that we have in our basically our life and, and good stress too. I mean, people have good stress. People have lots of grandkids and you know they worry about them, but that's still good stress. There's good stress, there's bad stress, there's just stress. So we've got to work around that elephant of stress so that we can keep our hormones up and also, as we're always working on, aging gracefully. Yeah, right. Because I think that because we have a very good quality of life in the United States, uh, we want to be able to maintain that as much as possible. And the baby boomer generation in general is not necessarily satisfied with this whole idea that, well, it's just part of the aging process. You just have to deal with that. I think that there is a Maybe the generation before our parents, before the baby boomer generation, that's, you know, uh, science really and medicine, the practice of medicine really hadn't caught up quite yet. And I think that was just the default. You know, that's just part of the aging process. You're going to have more aches and pains. You're going to be a little more tired. Uh, you're not going to have the energy and the performance you had when you were younger and you just have to deal with that. And I don't think that people are really satisfied with that anymore. And, and rightly so, I don't think they should be uh, because I think there's enough information and technology and advances out there to allow people to uh, live a very high quality of life uh, with a good standard of living well into their quote unquote golden years, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, we're living a very long time. And the whole point of that, you know, I think you and I would both agree is to minimize the age related disease that comes along with it. Yes. And as we, you know, we've been talking about in the last prior episodes to this one is we talk a lot about it, insulin. And when you have stress, even if you haven't eaten bad, that can raise up your insulin. Of course, eating high processed foods, refined carbohydrates, sugar, you know, when you are stressed out, that raises up the insulin and you do see the testosterone go down with that. I mean, we see it all the time when someone has a high hemoglobin A1C and their glucose is kind of resting over the edge of normal, you typically will see that testosterone level low, regardless of age. Yeah. Or you start to see the cholesterol going up. You start to see blood pressure going up. You start to see the triglycerides climb above 150. Uh, a lot of times there's going to be an inverse correlation between those numbers as those numbers abnormally get high, then your testosterone is going to start to drop off. So the question is then where, where, why does this uh, low testosterone level happen? What is pulling the testosterone level down? Uh, you and I both kind of approach that low T, uh, classic low T for a man, let's say greater than the age of 45, you know, certainly over the age of 50, that is an insulin problem. Sometimes those insulin problems are there early on, maybe even, the, even in the as early as the 20s, 30s, 40s, but they don't really begin to fully manifest themselves until someone hits their 50s. And then all of a sudden now, again, the cholesterol, the blood pressure, maybe the beer belly starting to get, you know, the, the stomach is starting to get a little bit bigger. And then you do a blood test. And uh, sure enough, the testosterone is either low normal or it's actually abnormal. And with these reference ranges, every lab has a different reference range. So you don't necessarily go by what the lab says is normal because these reference ranges are ridiculously vast. They go from like 250 to 1,200. So as long as a fellow falls into range there, then you're okay at, you know, 300. So 
typically we like to see it at six. I like it, you know, anywhere above 600, you know, 600 to a thousand, I think is a perfect level of testosterone in the bloodstream for a male, as long as they're feeling good. Everybody's different. We want to take that, you know, the subjective information of, you know, how good are we feeling versus, you know, that objective information with the lab values. So, you know, it, cause I have had men come in and they say, oh yeah, my doc says my testosterone's normal. And then I look at the blood work and it's like, 275. Yeah, the lower reference range is 250. Are you sure that's normal? Yeah, that's certainly not an optimized level. Uh, and I'm not really sure why they would have such a, a wide range like that. Because you're right, a man that has, uh, regardless of age, if he has a testosterone level of 275, when the low end of the range is 250, there's going to be, they're going to be symptomatic in some fashion. And that's where those lab re- reference ranges are looking for disease. If you have gonadal failure, yeah, a man's going to come into your office with a testosterone of 90 or 75 or even lower than that. But if it's not disease, it's more dysfunction, which is what we're talking about in terms of especially quality of life, anti-aging, reducing the the age-related chronic illnesses. That's not a disease. You know, we're looking at prevention. So there is a little bit of discrepancy between when you're looking, you know, in terms of medicine. Medicine isn't a black or white thing. There's lots of different shades of different types of medicine, which in particular, we practice the functional medicine. Yeah. I think a lot of times, as you said, it's either black or white. Either you have something or you don't. There's not a lot of gray area there. But when it comes to the human condition, you know, or human conditions, especially when there's a whole list of subjective problems and symptoms that go along with that, for as many types of people as there are around the country and across the world, there's that many different differences in how how certain conditions and diseases manifest. And, you know, medicine likes to make things very clear cut. Uh, like I said, either you have it or you don't. And sometimes nothing is done until there is a a black and white problem. And I don't think that, uh, and we certainly don't approach it that way. We try to catch things early because when it comes to hormones, we whether we realize it or not, as those hormones, the both metabolic hormones start to get imbalanced, the insulin and the cortisol, thyroid, and the, you know, kind of the secondary sex hormones, insulin, or excuse me, uh, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, as those begin to change, that's when people start having disease problems. That's when the risk of diabetes goes up, the risk of heart disease goes up, the risk of cancer and Alzheimer's. People have those problems 50 plus in their life, not under the age of 50. So maintaining hormone levels, and we're talking, of course, about men today, there is a lot of research to support having a higher level of testosterone over a longer period of time and a reduction in age-related disease. Uh, Now, a few years ago, there was a study that came out, I think it was probably about three or four years ago now, talking about how testosterone therapy increased the risk of mortality, meaning people were dying faster on testosterone. And that has been kind of uh, since disproven. That's not really the case whatsoever. And that is, honestly, that's using a you know type of uh, hormone uh, testosterone therapy that we don't even really agree with that much. The type that we use, as we'll get into here in a second, uh, you mentioned injections, you mentioned pellets. That's where you actually insert uh, pellets into the skin, uh, you know, under underneath the skin in the subcutaneous fat, uh, we use a what they call a rhythmic dosing schedule, which is, we think, honestly, is the best way to, is to dose uh, testosterone. 
Absolutely. So we're talking about reducing chronic disease, age-related diseases, but then, you know, we can kind of back up a little bit and say, what about the here and now? So, you know, symptoms of low testosterone, especially in men, is weight gain in the stomach. When you see uh, men with low testosterone, they've got a little bit of a belly and that's all that insulin and carbohydrates going right to the stomach because that testosterone's low. They also have, when you think about testosterone, motivation, drive, ambition, they're all reduced. Libido's reduced. Muscle mass is reduced, just a sense of well-being. So when you raise up that testosterone, you kind of think of it a little bit like the chicken and the egg. You raise up the testosterone, I feel better, so I'm going to eat a little bit different. I don't feel quite as stressed out. I'm going to sleep a little bit better. And then when you feel better, and it doesn't mean that you have to be on it for the rest of your life. I mean, if a fella's in their 30s or 40s, I don't want them to be on testosterone for the rest of their life. We just want to kind of upregulate a little bit, get their own processes going, which you cannot do with injections and pellets. You cannot essentially turn off a man's own production of testosterone when you do an injection or a pellet. But with doing a topical transdermal cream in a rhythmic cycling dose, you can come off of it very easily without completely turning off someone else's testosterone. On a side note, you know, you think about young men with taking testosterone therapy, regardless of what kind of testosterone therapy that is, it is going to reduce down a sperm count. So if a man wants to, you know, they want to have a baby, you wouldn't want to be on testosterone replacement for that. And usually what we do is we take the men off of testosterone the gal gets pregnant and then, you know, then we'll kind of decide where we want to go with that. If they're feeling good, what their levels are like, do we want to go back on the testosterone replacement? So there's a lot of individual issues going on when you're going to do any kind of testosterone replacement. But as Dr. Mackey was saying, honestly, that that rhythmic dosing is so much better than the injections, the pellets, the androgel, which I don't even know how many people even do that anymore because it's gotten so expensive and there's so many side effects with it is, you know, the, the rhythmic dosing just in practice I've noticed has worked tremendously better than anything else because I used to do a lot of other things, but it's worked the best. Yeah, so let's let's talk about what because uh, most people don't even really understand the, the difference between injections, pellets, static, rhythmic. These are all the terms that we use. Uh, most clinics around the country, and there's a bunch of different you know kind of male specific clinics that probably every major city has, almost like a franchise or a chain across the country. I know that here in Las Vegas, there's a few. I know there's a few in Los Angeles, in Orange County, and San Diego, and and I'm sure, like I said, every other major city has their own specific type of clinic. The majority of them, men go in either once a week or twice a month and they're getting an injection of uh, testosterone cypionate, which is a very common practice. Uh, And to be honest, you're getting this huge bolus of testosterone, bolus meaning a very large amount, and then it's supposed to kind of trickle down over the next couple of weeks and you go back in Two weeks later, you go in for another injection, another huge bolus, another huge amount or a big dose of testosterone, then it starts to decrease down. In theory, that seems like fine. That seems like a fine idea. But what ends up happening is that the first three to six months, men feel great. They feel like Superman because you're giving these huge super physiologic doses that in some ways men that maybe, as we were talking about, the guy that has the belly, the guy that's a little bit, quote unquote, insulin resistant, kind of out of shape, his body is not really ready for all that testosterone. And then you develop what they call receptor fatigue. And now his body, after the first three to six months, his body never fully responds to that testosterone anymore because you're giving so much so quickly. 
And that's where testosterone and estradiol are almost the exact same molecules in chemical structure. They're like, there's a couple of hydroxy groups or something that differentiate it. So what ends up happening when you're giving so much testosterone and you don't have the receptors for it to insert into for that biochemical reaction is testosterone very, very easily will convert over to estradiol. And then you see these men with high levels of estrogen and you think... Men don't need high levels of estrogen. And then they add high levels of estrogen in men is where they start to get the sugar cravings, where they start to get moody. They actually have had some men grow, um, I guess you could call it a chest. Yeah, they get, you know, they, they start developing breast tissue. It's called yeah. gynecomastia. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. there's some, you know, slang terms like man boobs and, and you know, things like that. <laughs> we you won't know. go there. But yeah, yeah they, you know, no man wants wants that to happen. Yeah. And that is, again, giving too much testosterone to a man that is not able to support that much testosterone and the way that it's administered. You're giving these huge amounts and the body doesn't really know, like you said, enzymatically and hormonally, the body doesn't really know what to do with it and it shifts it a different direction. So in theory, it's very simple. I think the way that those clinics are set up are set up more for the doctor than they are for the patient. Uh, Men tend to be, you know, this is a big generalization. Men tend to be kind of lazy. They don't want to go to the doctor very much. They don't really want to do too much. They go to the doctor twice a month and it's fine. And then they end up, which then you're going down the rabbit's hole with this, is because that estradiol is high, a lot of times doctors will prescribe Arimidex, uh, which it's basically a breast cancer medication. It blocks the aromatization of testosterone to estrogen. So it down-regulates estrogen. But here you are on a medication, breast cancer medication, and then you're down the rabbit's hole and you're kind of, you know, now you're on medications for side effects or whatnot. And that's not where people want to go. Yeah. So the rhythmic dosing is exactly what it says. Your uh, hormones in the body of all different varieties, whether we're talking insulin, we're talking leptin, we're talking estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, they are very, uh, they, they follow a, what they call kind of a diurnal pattern. There, there's highs and lows, there's peaks and valleys to those hormone levels. They can't always be the same all the time. That's not how the body works. And that's because, yes, men cycle too. Women cycle to a lunar, lunar moon 28-day calendar with their estrogen and progesterone, and men actually cycle their testosterone as well, but theirs is a 14-day cycle. So yeah. you're following what nature would intend with cycling the testosterone. Yeah, so again, Getting the philosophy behind this rhythmic dose, and we really have to kind of look at the mother nature and looking at the animal community, looking at mammals specifically, they're very much in tune to light-dark cycles. Like you said, there's a 28-day cycle within a month. There's a 12-month cycle within a year. There's four specific seasons. The length of the day... Uh, right? The amount of sunshine, uh, the number of hours of sunshine, depending on the time of the year, is going to have a huge hormonal impact on animals. Uh, now, we don't live that kind of a lifestyle anymore. We are, we are still controlled by that by some extent, but not nearly as much as we used to be and as much as animals are still. Yeah, love you, Thomas Edison. With the invention of the light bulb, now we live in a perpetual state of summer. Yeah, right. You know, honestly, that has some, and there's been some books written about that. There's been a lot of articles talking about the advent of the light bulb and how good it is in one respect, but it's also been kind of the beginning of our hormonal demise at another extent. That's a whole other conversation. I think we all like the idea of having light bulbs in our house, (laughs) right? I don't think any of us want to go back to uh, candlelight or, you know, kerosene lamps or anything like that. I mean, it's a huge advantage, um, but at the same time, it has some consequences to it. You know, and that even a few thoughts, even a few hundred years ago, before the advent, you know, how long has a light bulb been around? 150 years, if even that? 
It's just the light, you know, the light stimulates the body thinking that it's sunlight. But like you said, that's, there's a whole lot of other stuff with that with insulin and summer and carbs. And yeah, we, we could go on forever. <laughs> uh, so the idea behind rhythmic dosing is, like you said, women are following a lunar calendar. It's a 28-day cycle. Men whether we're talking human beings in the 21st century or we're talking uh, you know moose in the middle of Alaska they the men follow the women the males follow the females when the women go into heat the females go into heat um, the men come running so the male's testosterone level is basically overlapping the as they say with animals the estrus cycle now animals probably for population control there's probably a lot of reasons as to why mother nature does it that way animals are only reproductive for a very narrow window on a given year. Uh, humans, female human beings, are are in that reproductive zone basically once a month. I think one of the only species that I, that I can think of off the top of my head that actually does it that way. A lot of other mammals, it's on an annual basis, not on a monthly basis. I'm sure there's some other examples of that, and you know, there might be some zoologist or something that uh, could think of something a little bit faster than, than we, we can. But when we're talking uh, human beings, that the you know, the rhythmic uh, nature of it is the difference between rhythmic dosing and static dosing is static dosing, same dose every day. You know, a lot of women do fine um, using static dosing for their female hormones because when a woman's in menopause, she doesn't have any hormones anymore anyway. So giving her back a consistent dose every day, that's fine. That does a fairly good job of reducing symptoms and making her feel better. Men, even up until, like we said, 70s and 80s, they're going to have this cycle of testosterone. We're trying to restore it, not trying to replace it. And as you said, uh, Dr. Davidson, with the pellets and injections, you're replacing testosterone. You're not restoring testosterone. And that is a big distinction that I think a lot of people don't really, you know, they might use that term replacement and restoration. They might use them simultaneously. But I think there's a big difference between the two of those. Yeah, it's really um, actually really hard. I've, I have many men that have come into my office they, and they've been on injections and they stop the injections and their testosterone is just terribly low. It's always under range. It's always under that 250 when they have been on injections and they stop doing the injections. Of course, they feel it too. They don't feel well. And honestly, it's really hard to try to get their testosterone back up anyway. It's almost like those injections really do turn down regulate and turn off your own production of testosterone because like humans, you know, the body's lazy. If you're going to do the work for it, it's going to say, awesome, I'm going to sit back and let you take care of it. But it is sometimes in some fellas, it's been almost impossible to try to bring up that testosterone once they've been, depending on how long they've been on those injections. And it can take us up to six months to finally feel like, oh my gosh, we, we have the receptors upregulated a bit and we actually can get their their ranges in range because you know there are a lot of side effects from the injections and and not just because I have men that get a lot of anxiety from having the injections their faces are all red you know there's there's that just symptomatically but there's also some physical changes that potentially aren't really healthy yeah, and I'm not really sure in the conventional response of a guy's level is not not high enough or it's not rising. What do they do? They just keep blasting them with more testosterone when in reality they should go the other direction. And that seems logical and we're, you know, we're talking about it because you and I both have kind of had to deal with the collateral damage of men going through those kind of procedures. So if you're considering testosterone therapy, if your husband is considering testosterone therapy, do some due diligence. We're kind of advising against the whole injection idea. Uh, 
absolutely do not do the pellets. Pellets are becoming kind of a new thing because they're convenient. You put them in, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to do anything every day. But with that convenience, there is a huge downside to that. And that's where, you know, once those pellets are to wear off, they never feel as good as they did the first time they had. The first time they had the pellets, the first six months, they feel amazing. They feel like Superman. They feel like they're on top of the world. And after that, it's like the dog chasing the tail. It can never catch it. Like, you know, chasing the dragon kind of thing. You can never really get back to that first three to six months because like you've like you've said a couple of times that the receptors are basically closed and they're not going to respond to that extra level of testosterone anymore. And they have recently in the last five years really debunked the correlation between prostate cancer and testosterone replacement. So that's kind of like old archaic you know, information. But I have seen when they're doing a huge amount of testosterone all in a big bolus like that, like you said, as an injection or a pellet, I do see that prostate-specific antigen, the PSA, increase. You do see it go up. And Nobody likes to see their PSA go up, even though, like I said, the research has debunked that correlation between prostate cancer and testosterone. But you do see that PSA go up. And and a lot of internists, your general practitioner, your GP, primary care physicians, they're going to get upset because not only do you see that PSA go up a bit, you also see the hemoglobin hematocrit, which is the iron content that sits inside the red blood cell, elevate. And you also see the number of red blood cells go up too. So you'll see high red blood cells, you'll see high hemoglobin hematocrit. You know, one of the best ways to take care of that, of course, is to go um, donate blood if that's available in your area. And sometimes you actually have to write a note for a man that's on testosterone therapy to be able to donate blood, or you have to do a a blood dump where you just dump the blood. But you do see that estrogen go up, the PSA goes up, the hemoglobin goes up, the hematocrit goes up, the red blood cells go up. And with that in regard, you don't see that in the rhythmic cycling doses. I do see it in the static doses as well. I do see that um, go up when you're doing a static cream or an and or a gel of testosterone every day, same dose. I do see all, all of those go up as well, but not yeah. so much with the rhythmic dosing. Yeah, and again, the rhythmic dosing, it is, uh, it is every four days of the month, we are talking about what, what's called the Wiley Protocol. It was designed for women, which that's a whole other conversation. We'll save that one for later. Um, but the male Wiley Protocol for testosterone specifically is, um, is just fabulous. So every four days of the month in 20 day cycle, days one through 28, the, the dose is rising. You stop on day 14, you continue to day 28, you stop again on day 28. So instead of having to stop and start the testosterone like you normally would on a static dosing or with the twice a month injections, you're doing it pretty much every day of the month. But because the dose is rising and falling, you're aligning it with a, a man's own testosterone production. And then on an annual basis, winter, spring, summer, fall, the dose is also changing. It's going to be highest in the fall. That's when you know the deer and the moose and the elk are mating. Um, so our testosterone level would be highest then as well too. And it's going to be lowest in the winter because if we looked at it from a food, uh, it's lowest in winter time because from a food scarcity perspective, you're not worrying about reproduction in winter time. The babies are always born in the spring. So then those levels start to come back once the food's back around. And then that cycle repeats itself all over again. So you have this a monthly cycle and an annual cycle that allows the testosterone level, instead of having the gas on 90 miles an hour all the time and just blasting the body with more testosterone, you are cycling 
recycling it. So then you get a long-term result. You get a long-term benefit to testosterone, maintaining those levels, like you said, above 600, somewhere between 600 to 1200 on a regular basis. And uh, you don't have to worry about some of those other consequences that you do either with the static dosing and or the injections. So this is just a, you know, again, very controversial, very popular. Testosterone can be a little bit of a panacea, right? It can be, uh, when it's done properly, it can really, I think, have a profound impact on a man. But just doing the way that those other techniques that are out there, sometimes those cause more problems than they ever solve. So like I said, do some due diligence. And this is, uh, you know, this is going to continue to get, uh, I think, a, not necessarily more controversial, but uh, men are going to start to lose favor when, uh, when it comes to testosterone because some of this information is going to start to travel out there that after the first six months of therapy, they just don't feel that great. You know, that's why we're talking about this because we see men after the fact all the time because not a lot of doctors use the rhythmic type of uh, dosing schedule that we do. Which is unfortunate because, like I said, that's probably been the best results I've seen with men. But like, you know, if you're a 70-year-old fella, you know, you can get away with the static dosing and probably even some injections because, you know, older men do have that lower testosterone. But in terms of a younger man, especially if you're in your 40s or 50s, you don't want to go there because you don't want to basically replace your testosterone in a way that it's not going to ever come back up. Yeah, right. And then you throw in a little bit of a, a modified diet. We've talked about intermittent fasting on one of the la- uh, two episodes ago. That combined with a little bit of weight training and some testosterone, the synergy between all three of those can be without having to really work work too hard. Just a little bit of dietary modification, add in a little bit of strength training on a weekly basis, and that can be um, utterly transformational for a man without necessarily having to completely circumvent their entire lifestyle, just making some simple modifications, and not only just to feel better, but even reversing, you know, diabetes and, you know, some of these major problems. But uh, again, sometimes men, they say they feel better than they have in, you know, 10 or 20 years, just by having a nice uh, plan like that, that, like I said, does not have to be complicated and does not have to change their lifestyle too much. And it really brings up the libido. Men are easy. You give them some testosterone and that sex drive is great. But us ladies, we're a little bit more complicated, which leads us to our next episode that we're going to do is we're actually going to talk about women with testosterone replacement because us girls, we make testosterone too. We might not need our levels up to 600 to 1200, but we need a little testosterone in some cases as well. So we'll, um, we'll talk about testosterone replacement with females, you know, a good way to do it, not doing too much and why you would do it. Yeah. So, and there's a, you know, there's some things to be concerned about and uh, we'll talk about all those issues on the next episode. So, so if this is something that you're interested in, you can absolutely give our office a call at 877-521-9779, or you can visit our website at progressyourhealth.com. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Progress Health Podcast. Until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at ProgressYourHealth.com.